This episode of the Baby Tribe podcast is proudly sponsored by HappyTummy.ie, the exclusive distributor of BioGaia probiotics for babies. That's right. And as parents ourselves, we know how crucial it is to prioritize our children's health. BioGaia probiotics have been clinically proven to support digestive health and reduce the duration of crying in babies experiencing colic. Absolutely. And HappyTummy.ie makes it incredibly convenient for parents to access these products. Amazing. So for all your probiotic needs, head on over to happytummy.ie. And Baby Tribe listeners can enjoy a 10% discount on all products at happytummy.ie with the code BABYTRIBE10. Okay, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Baby Tribe podcast, where we will explore the beautiful chaos of parenthood and discover the joys and challenges of nurturing our little ones. We are your hosts, Katie Mugan and Afif El-Kafash. Each week, we'll bring you the latest information on all things to do with parenting and delve into insightful conversations with experienced parents to bring you practical tips, heartwarming stories, and a dose of laughter that every parent can relate to. So grab your coffee, find a cozy spot, and join us as we embark on this unforgettable journey of parenthood together. Welcome to the Baby Tribe. What cozy spot is a parent going to find? on your ear pods and out you go for that walk and you'll get to tune in and listen to myself and Afif talking everything small babies related. Let's get to it. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. It's so good to be back with you again and today we are going to talk about the developmental checks that babies go through over the first little while after leaving the hospital and the vaccinations that they get. Yeah, this is my area. I kind of love outside of all the research. Afif's like our nerdy, our nerdy segment. I'm I'm all on this. Yes. So this is really Katie's episode because I actually keep forgetting that you are a public health nurse as well as a pediatric nurse. Yeah. Public health, general and peds, all, all in one. Yeah, I'm so lucky to be in the presence of such an overqualified person. <laughs> I know that came across as very sarcastic. But yeah, I'm, I was going to say. Actually, I'm actually not being sarcastic at all. I have learned so much from you over the last little while. So long may it continue. So we're going to break it down to you. We're going to get straight into it because we have yet another amazing guest that we're going to introduce at the end of our little chat. So following the birth of your baby, they go through a series of checks um, in the hospital before they go home. And I'm going to sort of break it down to you. And then Katie's going to sort of take over what happens in the community after a baby is discharged from the hospital. Every baby after delivery gets a quick check by the midwife following delivery and sometimes a pediatrician if there are concerns that have been raised prior to delivery to make sure that everything is in place. And our aim always is to keep the baby with the mum as much as possible, ensuring the baby's safety while we do that as well. Because we always want immediate skin to skin as soon as that is feasible. We know how important that is to developing the baby's micro... A microbiome. Yes. Oh, sorry, I was actually kind of zoning out. <laughs> I was letting you do your thing as usual, Afif. I know, but you see, I never zone out when you talk, but you always I'm zone sorry. out when I talk. Yes, so I will, I'm trying to keep you on your toes. You know how much I love. <laughs> yeah, give me the heads up next time instead of just pointing the finger at me. <laughs> you, know, you know how much I love the microbiome, so it's important to establish skin to skin early on, even if you choose not to breastfeed. So once that is done, the baby goes with the mum and prior to discharge, Every single baby gets a check by a doctor and we do a kind of full head to toe 
NCT, checking everything to make sure that there is nothing that needs addressing before the baby goes home. And that is the fun part. I love doing that because we get to do all the somersaults on the babies and freak poor mums and dads out. Um, <laughs> you look like you're manhandling them. Yes. And I and actually, um, a mum has sent me this very funny Instagram um, uh, reel of a pediatrician just literally flipping a baby doll inside out and kind of shaking it and doing all kind of funny things to it, to the kind of horror of, of mums. We do not do that in the <laughs> hospital. We do check something called the Mara reflex, where we have to kind of lower the baby's head sometimes quickly to see if their arms go up. And, you know, you could see the mothers almost jumping, doing the same reflex as the babies do. And that's, you know, that's always kind of fun to do. But no, uh, joking aside, we do make sure that the baby has nothing as far as we can tell that needs immediate um, addressing. We also do something called a heel prick test. And I always get asked about what is a heel prick test? So a heel prick test is taking a small sample of blood from the baby's heel. And that sample of blood is sent to a central lab that looks at the kind of most common, what we call inborn errors of metabolism that are common in the Irish population. So what are these? Well, these are a group of diseases that are inherited that seem to be relatively common. I'm not saying that they are very common, but relative to other populations, they would be commoner in the Irish population that if picked up early can be addressed. So, um, you know, we look for things like um, cystic fibrosis, congenital hypothyroidism, so an underactive thyroid glands, and other things like phenylketonuria, galactosemia, and other metabolic disorders that can be addressed. And the parents always ask me, will I hear if that heel prick is abnormal? And the answer is yes. You will only hear if there is an issue. If there is no issue, you won't hear. And I have full trust in that system in that they are pretty good at um, telling you if there's something wrong. And just in case parents do get phone calls, it's just to be aware this isn't a diagnosis. They will bring them in for further testing because parents get so worked up and consumed. And actually, it's just to, they will bring you back up. Sometimes you'll get a phone call off the public health nurse saying they need to repeat it. That doesn't mean there was something wrong. Sometimes it's an inadequate test or there's prolonged time between it or they've been clotted or something like that. So don't panic if you get a second, a second phone call for a test. The other thing I meant to say is when they're doing it, a really good thing is to consider if you're breastfeeding, to breastfeed during the te- getting the test done. Um, it can be an awful lot easier on baby and mom. Yeah. And the other thing to add is that that test is usually done after the first 72 hours because the accuracy of the test increases once the baby has had some feeding on board. So sometimes um, it's not done too early because if you do it too early, you could miss some conditions that only kind of become apparent once the baby has fed. And if the baby has been on IV fluids, again, they may need a repeat test. So that would be standard. Yeah. And the other two things that we should mention that gets done before the baby goes home is a hearing screen. So all babies get a hearing screen now where they um, look at brainstem responses to kind of emitted sounds into the baby's ear to make sure that they register it. Now, again, a significant number of those tests fail in the first few days of life. And that does not mean that there is an issue with the baby's hearing. It could be extra fluid in the um, ear canal. And a lot of the time, these babies, when they are called back to do the repeat test in a few days time, it is perfectly normal. The last two things that are done, of course, babies are weighed before they go home to make sure that the weight loss is within the sort of expected range. And we did speak about that um, extensively in season one. So you can always go back and listen to that episode. And we also do a quick oxygen test to make sure that the baby's oxygen levels are normal. 
and then they are sent home for you to look after them, Katie. Yes. So as public health nurses, we will generally see within 72 hours of discharge. Now, if you have been discharged on a Friday, you won't be seen till the Monday. If you haven't had the heel prick before you've been discharged, the public health nurse will do it on this visit. The birth notification visit can take anywhere up to an hour to two hours. And this is where the baby is examined a full head to toe again and they do a full centile check. So they do a head circumference measurement, uh, length measurement and a weight measurement. They also look and, and do a full assessment of the baby. We do the reflex tests all again to ensure that they're okay. And then we do a full check with mom as well. So it's a mom and baby check and it's generally done in the home setting. You will then be seen by the GP at two weeks and then you're seen by the GP at six weeks. If there's an issue with weight, if there's an issue uh, and that requires follow up, if there's breastfeeding support or infant feeding support required, then your public health nurse is the point of call. The public health nurse might only see you at the birth notification visit and then the GP will see you two weeks. If there is a requirement, then the PHN can see again. But sometimes the PHN won't see you again until three months unless indicated that there's a reason for it. Some PHNs will do phone calls, but then depending on caseloads, some babies will not be called unless there's a reason for it until the three month check. The three month check is the very first check. And again, this is about the baby and the mother being um, assessed. With regards to the baby, they again do the full centile check and ensure that their baby is growing along the centile that we would expect and that there's no major um, losses or dips in the curve. Then we also look at their fine and gross motor skills. We look at the communication skills of the baby. Um, and these are all down to basically looking at how mom and baby interact. We look at how baby is, they are they smiling? Are they able to turn? We look at the tummy time. We look at the head shape. We look at can a baby hold something in their hand for a short period of time and then drop? Um, and we look at their gross motor skills as well. How important is tummy time at this stage? Oh, you know me, Afif, I shout about it all the time. By about three months, we'd expect anywhere between three to five times a day and up to five to 10 minutes. Again, the earlier we do tummy time, the easier it gets for a baby. We wouldn't expect me or you to do the plank for a minute straight. We do 10 seconds and then 20 seconds and 30 and we build it up. Same thing for the baby. If you start when they're really small, very short stints, you build it up, then they actually start to enjoy it. Yeah. And I get a lot of parents saying to me at the six week check that we've tried tummy time, but the baby hates it. So do you have any tips for parents that say that? Yeah, so it doesn't always have to be on the floor. Sometimes we start um, as a very small baby when they're having that awake period of doing skin to, or doing chest to chest on the on the tummy. Sometimes actually change it up and put the baby, if you're sit, seated down, put the baby's uh, tummy to your legs, to your knees and actually have them propped a little bit with toys on the bottom it means they start lifting up a little bit more. If you've got other little kiddies around, get them on the floor. Um, you get on the floor with them and start building it up. Do banging on the floor, getting teddies, toys, black and white colourings are very good, but short and sweet. Start on the tummy, then flip them back to their back. Um, all these play gyms and everything are really good, but we don't have to spend huge amounts of money on these things. It's basically small and simple, you getting down and even interacting, doing your communication with them. We'd expect the baby to be smiling. We look in and check the eyes, obviously, that they're fixing and following at that point. And if there's any concerns or if there's anything that we feel that maybe is out of our remit, then we are a pathway for uh, referring. So we have an AMO, which is an area medical officer, who looks after, it's a it's a doctor and that will actually, is primarily focused on development and we will refer in there. If there's any immediate concerns, the public health nurse will refer into a paediatric hospital for that baby or that infant to be looked at. Um, and then our next check is the nine to 11 months check. Now there's a big gap between three months to nine months. So the PHM will often say to a parent, if you feel there's anything that you're not sure of, or if there's any niggling feeling that there's something not right, then you can come back and give the public health nurse a phone call and link in with them. You will also be seen 
um, for the vaccinations. We're going to talk about that schedule as well. So it's not just you're going to be left from three months to nine months with absolutely no interaction with a medical practitioner. You will with the GP. When we're looking at the nine to 11 month, we're again looking at the same. We're looking, we do a full centile check, which look at, we look at the weight, the length, the head circumference. Um, we also then look at the social skills of the baby, um, how they're communicating. Are they starting to babble and make sounds? Da, 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 ma, 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 and all these sounds with it. We look at their communication skills. We look how the mom and baby interact or the partner, whoever brings the child with them. And then we also look at the gross motor skills. Are they starting to get up onto their knees? Are they rolling over? Are they starting to do the army or the, the army? army crawl, as we call it. Um, we look at the fine motor skills, how they're able to pick things up and use the pincer grasp. And we look at their solid intake as well. If I always happen to see um, parents at the sort of, you know, nine to 11 month stage and they always ask me, the dads always are so proudly say they started saying dada before mama. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all they're you know, they're always going, oh, that's because, you know, they love me way more than mum and start, you know, really pissing off the poor mum sitting beside them. And I always burst their bubble to say that the d syllable is the <laughs> easiest one to say and the m syllable is the hardest one to say. So they are always, regardless of who they love more, start with saying da da. So to all the dads out there, they don't love you more than they love your mum. And I, I'm pretty sure they love mum more at this stage. <laughs> so don't use that as an excuse to try and, and I suppose, troll the poor mums. Yeah, I mean, but we look, I mean, no matter, no matter what, we just want to hear them making sounds. That's yeah. the big part. But the dads do love it and they will they will roll with it. Um, so the sounds and communication skills, they're all really, really important at that stage to make sure they are starting to make sounds, they're communicating. And as public health nurses, a lot of the time we'll start with just doing kind of running through questions and seeing how things are going. And the reason is we want to see how the mom and baby interact as well, or the parent and baby, to see how they're chatting and how they, how they get on. If the mother or the parent... Um, are having issues with regards to feeding, solids, um, with regards to sleep, with regards to any element of development, then the public health nurse is their protocol initially to see what they can do to help this parent. A lot of the time it's about supporting, it's about listening. And as I say, like I have friends that say, I didn't get on with my public health nurse. And I say, that's okay. Not all of us have to have a great relationship. But the relationship you have with the public health nurse goes from birth pretty much all the way up to the school age. Um, and we, as professionals, sometimes need to think of how we interact with parents. Um, but it's really important that we do try to build on our relationship. And if you're having, you know, if you're if you don't agree you, or with something that they say, then you can say it to them. It's a bit like the GP. It's a bit like your um, your pediatric nurse, um, your pediatrician. It's about having that good link and being able to converse and say, I feel this is happening and having somebody supportive to stand with you. Um, but these these developmental checks are really, really important. You do not need to partake in them. But if you choose to actually withdraw yourself from the service, you do need to sign a form just to say that you don't want to partake. And I think it's always important to feel that it is OK to be able to have a back and forth conversation with your healthcare provider, regardless of who they are. If you yes. don't agree with something or if you feel that. And another approach may suit your circumstances better. Please don't leave that pent up because I think that can always lead to um, feelings of frustration down the line. And that's what may jeopardize the relationship. 
Very well said. And we only had this conversation this morning about when parents not challenge, but they actually will question things that we will say to them. And I, we both agreed and said, that's fantastic. We love and embrace that. Um, that is not them, you or as a parent questioning the healthcare professionals um, advice, but you like we should be questioning and saying, is this the right pathway? What like what is uh, required? And like you said, what works for one baby does not work for another. And sometimes, depending on a clinician's experience, we can be very by the book. Sometimes not everything works by the book. But once I suppose with I'm talking from a pr- uh, public health nurse we have to work within the perimeter of the HSE's guidelines. So if something is outside of that, we will refer on. That does not mean there is something wrong. That's just meaning we're going to make sure that they are seen and reviewed by a medical practitioner and that that if there is an issue, we can address it there and then. Great. So what happens at 21 to 24 months then? So this is probably one of the biggest developmental checks um, that we find because here we now see an interactive little child. Um, At this age, there can be a lot of, uh, we have to conjole an awful lot more. And a lot of the time, the child won't do what we want them to do in that sitting. So we do take an awful lot from what the parent um, tells us as well. Um, Again, we'll have toys to hand. We look at them, see how their fine motor skills are. Are they able to build blocks up uh, five in a row? Um, We look and can they understand and follow and uh, follow simple commands? Simple commands. Thank Some you. Of my kids still cannot follow a two stage <laughs> command. And, yeah, um, you know that's not a that's not a sign of developmental no. delay. Yeah. Or I often Teen, teena- it's te- being a teenager. Yeah. Well, I often find that parents will tell me in this one. I wonder, is there something wrong with the hearing? Because they're just not listening. They just don't respond. And a lot of the time when a child at this age is engrossed in something, they don't hear what's going on around them. So invariably we might send on for uh, for a refer to the AMO and possibly a hearing test. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. I've been told that I have that as well. They're called husband ears. (laughs) I call it selective hearing. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Selective and husband probably goes hand in hand. Um, So yes, we're looking at, again, communication skills here, kind of from one to... Uh, kind of from one and a half onwards, we'd expect maybe in around the kind of 30 words and that's developing each time. So we'd expect at the time they come to see us, they're able to put two to three words together in a sentence and able to converse with us in a conversation. But that can be very staggered. I mean, you'll often, I don't know if you've seen some of those Instagram posts that you'll see a parent and the child is starting to tell them a story, but it's like, all over the place. And the dad, I think it's the dad in it is going, yeah, yeah. And nobody understands what they're saying. But as a parent, you'll often understand what the child is saying more than an outsider. And that's perfectly normal. It's quite common that only the one person who spends time with them all the time will actually understand. But once they're starting to make words and starting to make them clearly and starting to put at least two words together is what we're looking for in this developmental check. Um, you'll often find kids may be very attached to a parent in this one and that's perfectly normal as well. It shows a really good sign of bonding when we see that firm attachment. We do the weight and the height and if there's anything concerning there, again, we link, uh, we will refer on. We look at their gross motor skills at this point. They should all be walking generally uh, by the age of two. So a late walker is kind of anyone past 18 months that again does not mean that there's an issue, but it would be something that we would keep an eye on if a baby or a toddler hasn't started um, putting steps, doing at least a few steps together by one. And basically we'll go through everything with the parents and we educate. We talk an awful lot more about the next developmental stage, which is the three to four age group category. Um, but we will talk in advance about the potty training and we are a source of education as well, making sure that the diet is where it is and making sure that any baby that is bottle fed or had been bottle fed is now all bottles. Bottles at this point, if they're drinking it a lot of the times, they go hand in hand with bed and it can lead to dental decay. So we talk about the dental um, input as well and making sure that they're cleaning the teeth and that. 
Yeah, so the developmental checks, the next one then is the three to four age group. It's at three and a half and eight to four. It's been, all the age groups have been moved a little bit um, because we can catch more in the at this at these specific age categories. Um, three to four, like they're in uh, preschool at this stage. So a lot of the times, if there has been issues, they will be flagged by the preschool. Um, kids at this age now have two years generally, depending, a year anyway, at a minimum of a preschool um, engagement. And with this, we're now looking at making sure that I can hold a conversation with with a child at this age group. So I might ask how they are, what they're doing, what they like. Um, I will look and see and I'll show them a book and ask them um, about different uh, different pictures and try to engage in conversation. Um, I'll ask them to do different tasks. Um, I look at their gross motor skills. Can they pedal a tricycle, which a lot of kids nowadays don't have uh, tricycles anymore. They're either scooters or they are the scooters or bikes. So a lot of the time a bike isn't really feasible for this age category. Some kids will be great at it, others aren't. But a lot of the balance bikes don't have pedals, but we actually want to see, can they coordinate that? So tricycles are very good and you'll still see them in creches and play schools. Um, Can they jump up and down? Can they jump up and down and bring two feet together? That's a big one as well. Can they kick a ball? Um, and that just shows coordination and using both sides of the brain. Um, we talk about the diet. We talk about sleep. We'll talk about potty training. Um, and again, at this stage, it is often quite clear for a public health nurse that they will be able to see something that maybe the parents haven't acknowledged or haven't noticed just yet. Um, but this will be a, a real area. Generally from the two year on is where if there's if there's issues or flags, we'll generally start seeing them then. Amazing. That has been a very comprehensive overview of all the developmental checks that your baby get. I think you have rambled on a little bit. I'm sorry, Fief. So I think we're going to leave the vaccinations till the next episode and we are going to move on to our guests. Yes. What do you think? So who do we have on this time? Well, I'm so excited to say that we have Denise Kenny Byrne, one of my faves on Instagram, is coming joining us today. So Denise Kenny Byrne is the co-founder of The Head Plan. She's a qualified life and wellness coach and a certified meditation teacher and now a new mom to baby Charlotte. Denise and her husband Kieran had a rocky start to newlywed life when he was unfortunately diagnosed with AML just two days after the honeymoon. But thankfully he is well now and little Lottie is here thanks to an IVF journey. Denise is navigating her new role of motherhood as a business owner and shares very openly challenges and wins online. So I cannot wait to hear what she has to say. Hi, Denise. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We are privileged to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much. This is my first parenting podcast and my first podcast since having Charlotte. So I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we are delighted to have you and for you to share your bit of your journey along with us. I suppose just to start off, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about your career to date Mm. and um, I suppose where you're at now. Yeah, so I was in a very different career to what I'm in now. So I was always very ambitious. I still am very ambitious, but I was very much obsessed with climbing the career ladder. I went to college and studied business. I kind of wanted a well-rounded education. But when I was studying business, I really kind of fell into the marketing communication side of things. I really loved that area. So I went into PR and communications um, in my very early 20s and was working my way up there. I had some really nice roles and great experience in different organizations and companies like Um, communications project manager in Ryanair for a period of time, worked on some amazing projects there. Um, I worked in financial services as a communications manager there. 
there. And then my last role before everything kind of changed, I was in a global communications role um, with a global consulting firm. And um, everything kind of changed for me when Kieran, my husband, fell ill. So he fell ill in January 2019 and he was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. So it's a deadly form of blood cancer. And um, we were essentially told the night he was diagnosed that um, he would need to start treatment right away or he'd be looking at a death sentence, to use the words the doctor said. So he started treatment and I'm so thankful to say that he is so well now and so healthy, but that was a real turning point for us in our lives. And I stepped off that career ladder and wellness and journaling was something I always leaned on since I was a child. And I just really started to lean on it heavily when Kieran was ill. And I was like, you know what? More people need to lean on these tools, not just when they need them. They need to lean on them every day. I felt like people didn't really know how to journal or anything. So our first guided journal was launched at the end of 2019, the start of 2020. And the head plan was born. And that's what I'm doing now at the moment. Wow, that's amazing. Um, And I suppose things have changed in the last few months. Um, We've had a new arrival. So tell us a little bit about. Yeah, so... So we have Charlotte now, I suppose before Charlotte, just to be really transparent, because I feel like this is an open community um, in the parenting space. So Charlotte, we are so blessed to have Charlotte. Charlotte, we were told when Kieran was diagnosed with his illness that um, as a result of his treatment, he wouldn't be able to have children naturally. So we were very lucky that um the day before he started treatment, we made it over to the Rotunda to Sperm Bank. So um, we are absolutely thrilled about that. And we were doing IVF for good. We were on a fertility journey in a number of different clinics for about two and a half years before Charlotte um, was conceived. So we, we're thrilled. Yeah, Charlotte is everything we've ever wanted and more. And she is nine weeks and one day. I've turned into one of those moms. I said I wouldn't. I'll probably be like, she's 143 weeks, but she's nine (laughs) weeks and one day. And um, yeah, she's amazing. That's amazing. And tell us, I suppose, going even from, I suppose, 2019, that's been a huge journey. And I suppose the head plan is well known Mm -hmm. by many followers. Um, I've even got friends myself that were so chuffed to hear that you were joining us. Um, You must have found then journaling, even over the last few years, even to be more important dealing with what you've gone through. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like people got a taste of like that red light that can flash up in people's lives that an illness brings. They got a taste of that through COVID. So I feel like people were a lot more open to journaling themselves. But yeah, absolutely. Journaling is a constant in my life, not just journaling, meditation, affirmations. I suppose leaning on that self-care and wellness toolkit that I've been building up since I was a child. Like I said, I was guilty of this too. Like I just used to lean on those tools when I felt like I needed them. And when Kieran got sick, I suppose a little bit before Kieran got sick, if I'm honest, because I really got into the meditation like consistently for the wedding because weddings are stressful. Um, But I just, I was leaning on my tools every day. I really, really needed them. IVF is difficult. It is a difficult journey. And 
I definitely needed to bring the best version of myself to that daily because every day is a different day and some days are up and down, you know. I I was going to ask about, um, you know, during your pregnancy and Mm. when you were expecting um, Charlotte to come, did you guys feel prepared for a new arrival? So I suppose, first of all, I... The pregnancy was a dream up until we'll get into that up until the last the last appointment. But the pregnancy was a dream. I feel like there was lots of other people I'd see online or that I'd be connected with that were like extremely ill or really, really tired. I don't know if it was the IVF kind of prepared me a bit, but I definitely felt one or two of the IVF rounds were more difficult than the start of pregnancy, which you'd be particularly tired in. So the pregnancy itself was a dream and I feel like because it was a dream it nearly wasn't real and I feel like we were like we'll start next week we'll start preparing next week I went into an extreme nesting mode like extreme nesting mode about week 34 I was still traveling and working by the way as well um up until about week 32 I started getting tired around then but the extreme nesting kicked in around week 34 and I didn't have my hospital bag or anything packed and did I feel prepared to welcome her into the world I don't think anything can prepare you and everybody says that and it's so cliche but no I wasn't prepared yeah, and that that has been, I suppose, the kind of overarching theme of of all the moms that we've been interviewing for this. It's hard to prepare for something like this, and I think there's comfort in admitting that. In mm. that, a lot of parents feel, "God, we should be prepared, but we're not." But rest in the knowledge that most parents mm. aren't. And we were actually just having a chat myself and Katie about even the fact that we, during our early professional career, we're looking after kids, we're looking after families with mm. kids. Even I'm sure Katie will agree, but. I myself did not feel prepared for having my own child, you know, 15 Mm. years ago. And my pediatric knowledge, some people thought would have been an advantage, was not, (laughs) you know, Um, because once it's your own kid, I suppose you lose all sense of objectivity and you become a parent Mm. first and foremost. So it is um, it is something that I think you learn along the way. And that's 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 a good message to put out there. Yeah. And I feel Even the nesting, I touched on that because, you know, you kind of build up to having the baby, you know, you build up to like going into hospital to have the baby, have the hospital bag and everything like nothing prepares you for bringing that baby home, not the painted ceiling or the new light fitting or anything. Nothing prepares you like for that. And I think that like I felt to. I felt at one stage, you know what, maybe I'm prepared to have her now. Like I did a few courses online and things and I was like, maybe I'm prepared to have her. I read a book. I read that, um, you know, the positive birth company. Is that what it's called? What's the book called? I can't remember. Um, I read that book and I was like, you know what, maybe I'm ready to go in and have her. But then it dawned on me coming closer to the date. I said to my mom, I was like, you know, like, what do I do after that, though? I think you're dead right. I think it's the transition to mother or parenthood, Mm. you know, for both uh, parents. It's that you can be you can have all the education that you can have the clinical experiences myself and Afif have said. But it's the on the other side of like when you start questioning yourself or everything, why aren't mm. they sleeping? Was mm-hmm. that dirty nappy okay? How many dirty nappies yeah. did they have? And you start questioning everything after you have your baby. And I think it's for us as well, it's the transition to motherhood where you're not the same person as you were before. Obviously no. you are, but with 
in so many different ways. You've got now this little person to keep alive and support. Mm. Um, so it's a massive transition. I think sometimes on our first, it's the hardest because you've never experienced this before. Whereas the more kids you have, you're kind of ready, you know, you're already in mom mode, put it that way, mm. or parent mode. So I think it's exactly like what you say, you can have all the knowledge and sometimes even the nesting, you can have everything ready and you're mm. the most perfect nursery but you actually yeah. go, oh my God, they might never sleep in that nursery for the first year of life. No, I know. They mightn't sleep at all anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Lack of sleep is a common theme you'd, you'd, be, yeah. you'd be glad to hear in, in, in our episode so far. Yeah. And um, you also wanted to share her coming into the world. She had an interesting journey. Yeah. In that so, sense, didn't she? Yes. And if, if you'll have to help me with the medical term again. So basically I was with um, Dr. Sharon Cooley, who's amazing in the rotunda and all my appointments were amazing. And like I said, to me, I would describe my pregnancy as a dream. I wasn't sick or anything. I had a bit of reflux and I got a bit tired towards the end, but I mean, I was really happy with that. Um, but I was in with um, Dr. Sharon Cooley on week 35 and everything was well. Um, Charlotte was breached, but she had moved down and I was thrilled because I was really like hoping after everything just to, I don't want to call it a natural delivery um, because all deliveries are natural now on reflection, but I, I was really pushing for me to go into labor at home. You know, like I had it kind of romanticized in my head so I was thrilled to hear that she was engaged and everything was well week 35. And I did start to feel slightly different after week 35. Something changed within my body is the only way I could describe it. It's obviously such a personal thing because it's your own body. But I felt very strange like sensations as in the movement had kind of slowed and the movement felt different. It nearly didn't feel, it felt like a thud as opposed to like a kind of glidey movement, if that makes sense. And I noticed that. And I also noticed, and on reflection, by the way, I might add, if you ever notice anything like that, like absolutely go to your doctor. I felt silly. It was my first time. I was like, the movement is less, but I was like, maybe she's tired because I'm tired. Um, but the movement felt less. And then week 36 going into week 37, I noticed this sounds so odd, but I have pictures and you can absolutely see it. But like you could see my bump had nearly flattened. It didn't look rounded. I kind of looked, I can't say I wasn't, it wasn't a rounded bump. And when I went in to see Dr. Um, Sharon Cooley on the day of week 37, so it was a Wednesday and it was 37 weeks that day, she had looked at me and I could tell that she was kind of looking at me and they don't, you don't really go in for chats at the start. You go straight in onto her bed and she gets the scanner on you. And like very, very quickly, she had gone straight into it. She's like, Denise, um, like, have you felt like trickling or like your waters are gone? Like, have you felt any kind of like loss of water or anything? And I was shocked on the bed. I hadn't, but I told her that I'd felt a little less movement. Um, and she had said the bump had looked like it was a little more slight. And she had basically said, um, I had a medical condition. Um, Afif, you might help me out. Is it oligohydramnios? Yes, thank you. So the fluid had essentially drained and Charlotte was not in difficulty at that moment in time, but if she had have stayed in there, it would have been 
getting more and more difficult for her. So um, Sharon recommended that we take her out um, by emergency C-section that evening. And I went home, got my unpacked hospital bag. Um, I knew that I had an hour, had a panic shower and washed my hair while I was deep breathing in the shower. And I went back in and I had her that evening. Yeah, it's so, very quick and and very sudden, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, very very sudden. Because I I I know that I was like trying to wind down a little and work, but I was very much still in work mode. I was in the office that morning, and I was like, guys, I'll be back. I'm just going to my appointment. Like I was trying to wrap up a few projects um towards the end of that week, and I was like, you know, I'll take thirty eight, thirty nine off, and you know, I'll relax at home, finish my nesting. And it just didn't happen that way. And, you know, I'll be honest, I was so, I was really upset about that. I really was upset about that. Like I cried like inconsolably from the hospital back home to the house to get my bag. And I was crying. Obviously I was crying first and foremost thinking, had I done something wrong for this to happen? Um, like, was I working too hard? Was the extreme nesting too much? Did I do like, I was moving around a lot, like sleeping in my mom's back and forth. And I was still very, very active and people would be like, slow down, take care of yourself. And I was taking care of myself in my mind, but I wonder, was I not taking care of myself as a nine month pregnant woman should, first of all, was going through my mind. Like, did I do this? And then second of all was the regret that I didn't take any time. I didn't take any time for myself before she came. Isn't it interesting that how mums automatically default to blaming themselves Mm -hmm. for, you know, things that go wrong. And, you know, in medical practice, we see it all the time that it doesn't really matter how well or unwell you've looked after yourself during pregnancy, these things do happen mm. and they are very difficult to control. Mm. So for anybody listening and also to yourself, Denise, these things are rarely a result of something that a mum has done during the pregnancy. So I know there's a lot of um, back and forth, um, I suppose, in your mind, mm. could I have done anything different? And 99.9% of the time, the answer would be no, yeah. this thing, you know, this would have happened and just, I suppose, for our listeners, oligohydramnios means less fluid around the baby. So normally there's a lot of amniotic fluid around the baby. And when it gets to a level that is significantly low, it can stress the baby. And that was the reason why um, why that happened. But she was a champion and a trooper mm. from the outset, wasn't she? Yeah. And so lucky. So I didn't say as well, if he, first of all, thank you so much for saying that because, you know, obviously it was an emergency C-section and I'm very much like, I do try and live in the present, but I, I'm going to be really honest again, because I feel like this is a safe, supportive community of all the things that I've struggled with the first nine weeks of having Charlotte is, um, probably that and it's it's manifested itself in the way she feeds I feel like I obsess about I have been I actually stopped tracking her feeds last week because I feel, felt like it was getting unhealthy but because I didn't say this she actually stopped growing at 35 weeks so that had obviously kicked in around week 35 and I felt like 
you know, like she wasn't eating well in there and the guilt of all that. So I, I became obsessive about her feeding. Like I actually really struggled with it the first six, seven weeks. And only now, two weeks later, with the help of my mom and chatting to Kieran and being really open about it. And if, if I think I talked to you about it as well, I feel a little more calm about, look, obviously I'm still like a new mom and I'm still finding my way, but the section definitely triggered that feeding response in me. Like, is she getting enough? Like obsessing about tracking the mills or the ounces, like pumping so I could see that she was actually drinking. So thank you so much for saying that. To answer, to to touch on the last point you said there, yes, she came out an absolute champion. She was five pounds, five ounces. So she was just kind of that borderline, like right size to come back with me. Um, she came out like absolutely fabulous. Like not, but she was kind of like, what am I doing here, guys? Like, I'm not ready to come out. But she came out fabulous and uh, thriving and she started feeding really well. And like when, as soon as she came out, she's great. Yeah, no, she was, she was, um, and she still remains fantastic, yeah, which is fan. a testament to the care that both of you are giving her. Mm. I wanted to ask you, was there anything, did anything surprise you about Charlotte after delivery? Like, I felt like the first 20, well, after the section, I will say I didn't anticipate, and I don't want this to sound off-putting, it's absolutely manageable, but I didn't anticipate the lack of movement I'd have and to be left alone in a room with her. So I was in a room on my own and I found that difficult, like, like ring the bell being like, can you help me like lift her up? And I found that difficult personally, but anything I know, like did anything surprise me with Charlotte? Just on that point, and we were chatting about this Mm -hmm. um, earlier, myself and my wife, cesarean section is the only surgery that women undergo Mm. and then you're expected to be moving to actually do more work than you did before the surgery everybody recuperates after surgery yet once you have a baby following a c-section you are there's very little rest you have to move Mm. you have to do all of that and we 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 forget that it is you know we forget that it's actually wild you forget Mm. that you know a cesarean section is a surgery Mm. and the majority of people are given time to recuperate and rest mm. after a surgery, yet a mum with a baby is expected to look after the baby and their workload triples, quadruples mm. after the surgery rather than it should sort of go away so that they can rest. So, I mean, those the, the feelings that you describe are, are completely valid mm. and they are. Um, it's important that people sort of recognise that. And that brings me to the next to the next question is, did you feel supported over the first few days? Absolutely. The level, first of all, the... First of all, to touch on the section, because I don't want it to sound scary because I know people have planned sections for different reasons and things. I actually, hand on heart, felt so calm when I was in getting my section. And it was actually a lovely experience, despite the fact it was like an emergency. Um, It was really, really calm. The team were gorgeous. Uh, Everyone was so supportive. And it was actually a lovely experience for what it was like I, I like it was um the care in the hospital was unbelievable the midwives were angels and everyone in the hospital was great and then since I've been home Kieran's been amazing obviously myself and Kieran have been through so much and like Kieran obviously had a 
tremendous amount of recovery to do throughout his own illness. And I was very much there for him. I felt like he really, like he's been so good, so kind. Like we have uh, a little system, like he does night feed at, at a certain time. He does a morning feed. I get an extra rest in at this time, that time. He makes sure there's food in the fridge, always looking after me when I'm breastfeeding, bringing in water, making sure I have everything. Like he's been amazing. And we have a quite a unique living situation in the sense Kieran built a house next door to his mother and his sister lives on the other side. And his sister is, his mom's obsessed with Charlotte as well, but his sister is like, she's just one of those people like absolutely love loves kids, always minding kids. And I was never that way, by the way. And I can chat about that as well. Um, but she's super maternal and she's like, anytime you need to have a share or anything, I can knock in. She's so kind. And then my own mom, guys, I cannot, I did actually start crying. She has been I I wouldn't be able to do the things I do without my mom. Obviously, we're self-employed. The head plan is my baby as well. And Kieran works in the head plan as well. And that's difficult. Uh, but my mom's been so good and she loves Charlotte as well. And she comes over um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are kind of like office days. And she comes over for a few hours. It's normally during a nap or if I have a bottle pump, like it's not even that long, but she comes over for a few hours and I head down to the office and get work done. So she's been amazing as well. So to answer that, absolutely support it above and beyond. I feel so lucky. That's and support great. is so crucial, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a theme that we've been seeing and it's it's amazing to acknowledge because there's no shame in saying that people need support mm. once they have a baby, especially to continue working yeah. through the early the early kind of days. And it does take a village to raise it a child. Does. And you know, acknowledging that and, and, and getting the support is is absolutely yeah. um vital. Um you obviously continued to work mm. almost immediately after Charlotte mm. was born. Um, and I'm I had this romanticized <laughs> version of having my first baby and you know I'll be back in meetings in about 2 weeks or I'll be walking the park with my blow dry guys let me be clear <laughs> that absolutely didn't happen and it was a struggle to get dressed for it still is some days I'm not going to lie it's a struggle to get up get dressed and get out the door but um I'd say if I'm honest from about 6 weeks I have been, you could say, back and work. Yeah, back and work. Not the same way I was before. And I don't plan to be back the same way I was before until about September when Charlotte will be, how old will she be then? May, June, July, August, September. She'll be about five months then. And I plan to get a different kind of um, child minding arrangement in place. But I am, for the most part, back and work. Yeah. And did you feel pressured to get back or is it just the love? Because I suppose like as an entrepreneur, you kind of, it's your baby as well and you're working together with Kieran. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of both. Like I'm going to be really honest, it's a bit of both. I absolutely love it and I don't want to not be there. I nearly have FOMO when I'm not there. But I also felt pressure because I feel like if I'm not there, this is actually, despite the fact it's probably a quiet time for lots of people, this is actually a really busy time for us building up to Q4. And getting all the products signed off and all the concepts signed off and lots of different exciting things that we're working on need to keep moving forward. So there's definitely a pressure element there as well. And what are the biggest challenges then for you like when 
obviously you've got Charlotte there as well. Like, do you have, do you bring her with you or do you like, do you have your mom or is it that you kind of go taking turns with Kieran? Yeah. So, so I have brought her into the office. I've actually struggled a bit with this now as a new mom. I struggled to be one of those moms that brings their baby everywhere. I know if, if you very kindly said, you know, you can bring Charlotte out to record the podcast. Like, I still get a bit of fear about that because I don't know how she's going to be. She's got a bit of silent reflux going on. She's a little bit fussy. I still love her. Absolutely love her. I'm not giving out about her. But um, I don't know how she's... It's okay. You can say that. Yeah. I don't know how she's going to be at different times. I think we're still getting to know each other. So I have brought her to the office, but like to say it's a distraction would be an understatement. So it's more so my mom comes here on different days when I have meetings booked in and my mom be like, I'll sit here for two or three hours. You go and do X, Y, Z. And Kieran's been great in fairness as well. So Thursday and Friday, we work from home. Kieran has decided he's going to work from the office today and he'll look after Charlotte tomorrow and I'll go to the office for a few hours tomorrow to get some stuff done as well. So it's kind of a bit of both, ma'am and Kieran. Because it can be quite hard if you've got your little one beside you anyway, mm-hmm. when you're trying to focus on something and you can see them nearly twitching or yeah. moving, you're like, what, what yeah. are they doing? And actually we had um, Kelly Horgan here earlier and she was saying She's that she fat. does bring um, Louis sometimes with her to... Uh, some shoots and she said you know she find it difficult she's quite distracted then sometimes when she sees somebody else picking him up or holding yeah. him and things like that yeah. she's like oh well she's fabulous in her you know head. I, love, kind of I love following her I love following uh mums online you learn a lot from them like I actually um I spotted that she was using the LV pump. I think Louis has eczema or something, and it really made me look more into that. And I got I I actually borrowed one off um Denise Phillips. I don't know if you've ever talked to her. Oh, yeah. She's fab as well. Denise was like, I have one here. Like, just like she's fabulous. So I borrowed one on her as a result. But like the mams of Instagram are like, there's no support like them. They're fab. Kelly's fab. And that's the real positivity of Instagram. You know, it gets mm. a lot of negative press, but actually for you having such a large platform and a lot of our other um, guests coming on the podcast, it gives other moms a real, I suppose, eye opener that everyone goes through a lot mm-hmm. of the similar things like, you know, struggling with sleep and questioning, like, especially with breastfeeding, yeah. like how many feeds are they getting and all those kind of things. And you make it real for everyone else. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the main reasons we wanted to do this for season yeah. two is to actually highlight to everybody that even, um, you know, high profile moms that mm-hmm. run the show um, also go through everyday mom things as well. Mm-hmm. And talking about everyday mom things, and it's it's a bit of a loaded question. Do you feel any guilt about leaving her when you go and do work? And the reason I'm asking this is because moms get asked this all the time, but dads don't tend to get asked this. There's so much mom guilt is a real thing, you know? To answer your question, sometimes I feel guilty. Sometimes I don't. It depends on the situation. So I'd say 90% of the time I don't feel guilty. However, myself and Kieran had a really big meeting in the UK. I don't know if you spotted, actually, if I was telling you I was going away because I was panicking about the feeding. Um, We had a really big meeting in the UK and I had to go overnight. And Charlotte was only seven weeks at the time, just about to hit seven weeks. And to say the guilt I felt, it was such a huge opportunity for the business. And if I didn't go, we would have lost the opportunity for a future project, which Charlotte would benefit from as well, I might add. And she wouldn't even know if I wasn't there. But 
the guilt I felt leaving her, despite the fact I had all the support lined up. My mom was coming over to stay. Um, I'd organized someone to come over that night um, to look after Charlotte. And uh, my mom was there the next morning. Um, I actually engaged with a night nurse. She's fabulous. And I felt guilt. I actually feel guilty about even saying that out loud, by the way. Isn't that odd? I think society expects mums to, to, to have feelings of guilt when they do something that they want to do for themselves. Yeah. And I see you justifying what you did because you're saying, oh, it's for Charlotte as well. But I mean, a lot of the time we say it's okay to do stuff for you without needing, the, without yeah. feeling the need to actually justify mm. what you're doing. And I think as a society, we need to move away from maternal guilt mm. and just let people do what they want to do, knowing that they will parent their child in any way they see fit and in the best situation for their family. And, you know, it's difficult for me because I obviously I'm very much into personal development and wellness and I'm a life and wellness coach, a meditation teacher, and I feel so in tune with myself. But navigating this new person as a mom now, I can hear myself talking and I know I'm doing it. But it's so difficult to flick the switch and be like, why are you justifying this? Like, it's absolutely fine. But the guilt is real. I don't, it's yeah. it's real. It's a real thing. It is a real thing, but it's not there all the time. It's there for the bigger things for me, like the traveling. The traveling was huge. Like, I think the traveling is huge for anyone anyway. But my flight we missed the flight home and I ended up staying an extra night. So to say there was a meltdown in the UK would be an understatement. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously understandable, especially the first time you leave, um, you leave your baby behind to go do something. But again, I think you would have regretted not going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, it's, it's hard. Parenting is full of, full of these sort of feelings mm -hmm. for the, for the kids. We wanted, I suppose, to ask, whether you have any advice for um, people that are probably about to embark on parenthood that are running their own business as well from mm. what you have learned so far. Mm. I definitely say, and I like, I'm really open about this. If you can like try and take a little bit of time before baby is due, like I, I just think that's so important. Like, look, I can't go back in time and, and take that time, but I really wish I had a bit of time because I'll probably never have that kind of time again for myself is the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is I know everybody says it, but it absolutely is magical and um, as challenging and as difficult as it can be some days, it is like hand on heart, the best thing we've ever done. I would lean into that support system early on if I could advise, which can be difficult as well. Like I didn't want loads of visitors in the house or anything. And like, I did find it difficult seeing my sister-in-law, even my mom picking Charlotte up or holding her a different way to I hold her or, you know, like I found that difficult at the start, but lean into your support system. Like you don't know everything, but the good thing is your baby doesn't know everything either. And the two of you are learning together. So I definitely try and take a bit of pressure off yourself in that sense. Like you're not expected to know everything. And in terms of the working thing, if you're self-employed and you have a business that you're passionate about, um, like you absolutely can make it work. You can make it work. It will be different and maybe you won't be able to give it as much time as you used to, but 
you'll find that you'll be smarter with the time that you do have. Like you'll have block time for sign off and block time for different things and team members will be super supportive of you. You'll be surprised of the the new kind of circle and understanding that parenthood opened up, opens up for you as well. Like everyone's really supportive, but people will be really aware of your time and how more precious your time is, if you will. And you'll fill that time in a smarter way. So, yeah, you become more efficient. I think a lot of parents yeah. say that, that you've become more efficient. You, yeah. cut, you, you cut a lot of the BS away and then you mm. just focus on what is important. Mm. I always wonder when I look back now is what did I do at my time before I had kids? Like, obviously I was busy, but now I'm going, oh my God, if I know how efficient I could be now mm. with the kids mm. and work life, I could have yeah. been super efficient mm. yeah. if I could go back in time. But it's like everything we evolve as parents and as people um, as we grow with our kids. Mm. So yeah. I think it's the best bit of advice is that nobody knows everything. And even when you think you may know a lot, you actually, in the grand scheme of things, you'll get thrown by a different stage your baby hits. Mm. And you think you've nailed it now, even with feeding, you think, okay, I've got it. And then suddenly a blip happens or they start mm. teething or they get a cold and you're like, oh my God, I, d- I don't know anything. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. a constant learning curve. On that, the do you, who are your mentors throughout for, throughout the, your kind of career? Any Anyone sticks in mind? Career-wise, like I know this is going to sound cheesy, but like Kieran's a serial entrepreneur, and I feel like this journey of entrepreneurship, um, I wouldn't be able to do it without him. He is like a serious like business mind and can really take things to the next level. I'm great about I I'm more the creative side, and yes, I set the goals and I align my actions and I go after the things I want every day. But Kieran is that action man that helps me take things to the next level. So Kieran absolutely is a mentor. Um I did going for growth last year and I absolutely love that the 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 relationship between female entrepreneurs within Ireland is really really beautiful and uh, there's there's way too many female entrepreneurs to mention because I don't want to leave anyone out but that community particularly that going for growth community there is an abundance of mentors in there that are willing and able to answer any question at any time of the day and I'm so grateful for that as well. Yeah it's actually a brilliant um uh, it's a brilliant support mechanism mm. as well for um, female entrepreneurs. Tell us this, do you, what's your favorite podcast? Have you got any ones out there that you listen to all the time, either on parenting or just something you like to chill out with? You know, other, I, other than the baby tribe, of course. Uh, obviously the baby <laughs> tribe. Always to plug. That's yeah. why I was so excited actually to come on today because, you know, I obviously went through such a journey to have Charlotte that I'm going to be honest, for a long time, I blocked out a lot of this genre of podcasts or books and things. Um, so I'm thrilled to be on The Baby Tribe. I absolutely love it. And I love that you cover different topics. And there, there are those nuggets that the moms need to hear when they're out for their walk or whatever. So I absolutely love The Baby Tribe. Um, I love still... I feel like I'm on a continuous um, wellness journey and I feel like everybody is and should be, but I definitely am more so into personal development and wellness podcasts. I love uh, Huberman. Um, I love that he dissects different things in a medical sense, very scientific, really, really into that. Um, 
Yeah, I love, and and like, yeah, I don't really, I feel like I don't have loads of time at the moment. I'm not going to lie. So I kind of feel on the spot, but like definitely more personal development and wellness pods with a, a splash of parenting through the baby tribe. And what do you do yourself then for self-care? Mm. Like what, what do you find good? So I absolutely journal every day. I feel like being productive is with my time and planning out my day brings a sense of control to the chaos if that makes sense and um, so do you journal first thing in the morning so every night I journal about the day the next morning so I set my day up the night before that's actually very interesting whereas probably most people journal about the past you yes. journal about the future yeah yeah so yeah. our whole concept in the head plan is well with the particular journal I'm talking about the productivity and wellness journal is you have these goals in mind and it's how you're going to get to those goals how you're going to achieve those goals it's basically about aligning your actions and saying no to anything that doesn't make sense that pulls you away from taking you closer to your goal so every night I would look at my long and short-term goals and I'd be like, right, what am I going to do tomorrow that's going to take me closer to where I want to be? So if I know my mum is coming over for two to three hours tomorrow and I have a meeting window and I want to achieve X in the meeting, I will write that out and then I'll write down like I keep it really short, by the way, it's not overwhelming. Like the head plan is set up like your main goal of the day. Like even if you're one thing, that you're going to achieve and then like two to three small tasks um, and then there's other tasks and actions that you can add in as well there's a self-care and wellness action every day that you set yourself which is really important and yeah I do that every night and that grounds me and do you mind me asking very quickly mm. but did you um did your kind of goals I suppose changed in the immediate uh kind of aftermath of having Charlotte like when you were doing your journaling in those very kind of first early weeks mm. had you changed kind of ideas mm. when you were journaling the night before like as mm. in what targets you kind of wanted to meet so your daily goals are always based back on your long-term goals but okay. to answer that the business goals haven't changed they've actually gotten bigger since Charlotte was born and I feel like I, I feel like she's given us a new yeah, Lisa Life. Yeah, let's do this. Like she'll love it. Um, so the business goals have gotten bigger. Some of the self care and wellness goals, uh, I have to revisit. And I was actually talking about this on my own Instagram the other day. I'm actually going to start a new journal. So it's a six month journal, and I'm probably going to share it online about how to set it up and how to do it because some of my goals have changed since having Charlotte, and I think that's absolutely fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Denise, we want to really, really thank you for taking the time to speak with us. We know it couldn't have been easy to um, find the time, but we really, really appreciate it. And as a thank you, we'd like to give you a little gift. It's very small, but Eden One, Ireland's leading luxury day spa destination, has kindly gifted you one of their signature packages. And they would be delighted to treat you to an ultimate day spa escape whenever you have the time. So. We will send it out to you because, you know, you couldn't make it yeah. in the studio, but we will send that out oh to you. Oh my God, that is so kind. And you know, like one of the goals that has slipped is the self-care and wellness. Looks like it's going back up. <laughs> well, there you go. You, you can't, you can't have better self-care than, than in that oh, place. And I speak so from experience. Kind. So thank yeah, you so, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank, thank you so you much. Guys, I absolutely amazing. loved it. 
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you on your parenting journey. Remember, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks for being part of the Baby Tribe community. See you next week.